9-11. What comes to mind when you hear those numbers? They're not just numbers anymore, are they? Uh, on September 11th, 2001, those became more than just numbers. That is a day that the world changed as we know it. Where were you on 9-11? I'm sure you will remember where you were and what you were doing. Uh, I remember where I was. I was a new district superintendent for the Forest Lakes District. I had a phone call scheduled with the old district superintendent. He was going to brief me on all of the churches in the district. And when I called him, he said, do you have your TV on? I said, well, no. He said, turn it on. Unusual request. But when I did, I saw the second plane crashing into the Twin Towers. It was a day I'll never forget. I, I am sure it's a day you will never forget. We're going to be looking at a passage today in Scripture that deals with another very unforgettable day, a day really when the world changed. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, uh, catch the eye of one of these young men coming down the row, and they'll give you one. And uh, it's good to have God's Word open as we're looking at it together. And so I'd uh, encourage you, if, if you need one, take one. And if you don't have one at home, bring it home. Glad to have that for you there. This passage that we're looking at in John chapter 19, starting at verse 17 and going through the end of the chapter, deals uh, with where certain people were and what they were doing on the very first Good Friday. They're all finishing something up in one way or another. And you can tell what's important to them by what it is they're finishing up. The Jewish leaders were finishing up their efforts to have Jesus crucified before the Passover. They were quibbling over the notice that Pilate had put on the cross. Look at verses 19 to 22 with me. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. King of the Jews. That title bugged the Jewish leaders no end. They had rejected him as their king, but they knew that if they told Pilate that this man claimed to be a king, he would see him as a political threat and have him eliminated, which is what they were trying to achieve. But they wanted to make it clear that they didn't want him as their king. So they wanted the notice changed over the cross. It was written in three languages, so anybody who could read that was passing by could read it. It was near the city where there'd be lots of people passing by, and they wanted to make it really clear that this was no king of theirs. 
And the response they got from Pilate was essentially tough. You got what you wanted, now go away. They had used the king charge to get Pilate to order his crucifixion, and now they would just have to live with it. Pilate knew they had outmaneuvered him, but now he'd given them what they wanted, and their manipulation wouldn't work anymore. The notice remained as Pilate ordered it. There's a group of soldiers finishing up their crucifixion detail. Soldiers get special details every now and then. They were finishing up their crucifixion detail by rolling dice to see who got the seamless garment that Jesus would have no more use for. Look at verses 23 and 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Four soldiers dividing what was left from Jesus into four shares. But one seamless garment was left after they'd each picked what they wanted. And instead of cutting it up, they'd roll the dice to see who got lucky. They didn't know they were fulfilling prophecy. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalm 22, verse 18. said, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That was written by King David about 1000 B.C. David, writing words that would one day be fulfilled by David's greater son. As John points out, the scriptures said it, so they did it. Verse 24, this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Scripture said it, so they did it. Jesus' mother Mary was finishing something up of her own. She was finishing up being a good mom. She had raised him. She had celebrated his first steps with him. She had bandaged his skinned knees. She had taught him the scriptures that he inspired. Now, she watched in horror at what they were doing to her son. Imagine the grief of losing a child. I've walked with parents through the grief of losing a child. It's devastating. Imagine Mary's grief, losing her son, seeing him tortured and slowly killed. Imagine the sheer frustration she felt at not being able to do anything about it. Her mind flashes back to an announcement that the angel Gabriel gave her that she was to become the mother of the Messiah. She was scared, but she was willing. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
She thinks about the day that she and Joseph presented their newborn son at the temple. And an old man named Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God. He said he could die in peace now that he'd held the Messiah. Mary and Joseph marveled, Luke tells us, at what Simeon said. And then he told Mary that a sword would pierce her own soul. Strange words for her then. Now she knows what he meant. John tells us that she was joined in her grief by her sister and by two other Marys. There's one other person there with them near the cross. It's John, the beloved disciple, the author of this gospel that we've been studying. We see him in verses 26 and 27. John was finishing something up of his own. He was finishing up his role as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And he was finishing it up by staying with him to the end and watching his rabbi die. He thinks of the lessons that he learned from Jesus as they traveled together these past three years. The miracles, the teaching, the life lessons. And now he sees it end like this. He's supporting Jesus' mother, Mary. Look at verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. So From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus would see to it that his mother was provided for, taken care of. He would give Mary a new son, and he'd give John a new mother. And John would take Mary into his home from that point onward. John was also watching and remembering the details we're seeing here today. Look at verse 35. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you also may believe. What John would remember from that day and write down would serve as a testimony that would bring many people into the kingdom of God. Two more people were there, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both of them members of the Sanhedrin. They had observed what took place overnight. They were finishing up making preparations now to give some dignity to Jesus' burial so that his body wouldn't just be dumped into a pit. Look at verses 38 to 42. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices 
in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Joseph and Nicodemus were secret disciples, but now they were ready to come out of hiding. Several different characters there around the cross that day, each one of them finishing up the things that were important to them on that very unforgettable day. Jewish leaders quibbling, soldiers gambling, Mother Mary grieving, John witnessing and remembering, two secret disciples coming out of hiding. But Jesus was finishing some things up himself. He's finishing up his earthly ministry by carrying his own cross and allowing himself to be nailed to it. Look at verses 17 and 18. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. The account is pretty unspectacular. They crucified him. No details given. That's true to form for John. He doesn't focus on the details that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already given. Instead, he wants to show the meaning behind what's going on. Jesus is also finishing up being a good son to his mother by taking care of her and providing for her in verses 26 and 27. There we see that he made sure that the mother he loved would be provided for by the disciple he loved. And with that, he had taken care of the last earthly detail that was there for him. And he could go now. Look at verse 28. Knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Right after he assigns Mary's care to John, it says everything had now been finished. His last earthly detail was done. And John wants to, us to see all that is happening here in the context of Scripture fulfilled. No fewer than four times in this passage, John points to the fulfillment of Scripture. Verse, 27, verse 24, verse 28, verse 36, verse 37. And here he points to Psalm 22, the Psalm of David. Let's just look at part of it together, verses 14 to 18. Amazing words written by David a thousand years before Jesus. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth 
dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Written by King David, 1000 B.C. And what's striking is that David gives us a description of crucifixion. 500 years before the Persians invented it. And David's greater son, the Messiah, would experience it. Jesus also finishes up fulfilling scripture by expressing his thirst and getting a bit of a drink. Verses 28 and 29. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, he said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gives one last outcry there in verse 30, and Matthew and Mark tell us it was a loud cry. I wonder, was that the purpose in Jesus taking that drink that was offered to him, that sour wine vinegar that soldiers would drink? Would it be to make this dry mouth, this dry throat, moist enough for one last cry of victory? What is it he says? It is finished. Greek word is tetelestai. Third person singular, perfect passive indicative of teleo, to complete an activity or a process. Now that may sound Greek to you, but we can translate it this way. It has been accomplished. It stands finished. It is Done. When a servant completed a task that was given to him, he'd report to his master to tell us, it's finished, I've done it. When an artist would finally complete the painting or sculpture he'd poured his life into, he would announce to tell us, it is finished. When a buyer paid in full for his purchase, the seller would mark on his invoice to tell us, it is paid in full. And we may ask, what is it? What exactly is finished? And the answer is our salvation. Everything needed to be done to pay in full for your sin and mine was accomplished at that moment. Jesus paid it all. Jesus, our high priest, stands in contrast to every high priest who ever lived, endlessly offering sacrifices in the temple day after weary day. Jesus' sacrifice, in contrast, is complete. 
once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 says this, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because he was done. There's no more sacrifice to be offered. It's finished. You see what that means for us? And there's no more need to do and do and wonder if you've ever done enough to be acceptable to God. We don't keep trying to earn our way to heaven, wondering if we've ever done enough. It is done. In fact, somebody wisely noted, religion is spelled D-O. And you do, and you do, and you do, and you wonder if you've ever done enough. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. It's finished. It's not what we do that makes us right with God. It's what Christ has done for us. It's finished. There's nothing to be added. The telestai is finished. Perfect tense signifies completed action with ongoing effect. In other words, it remains finished, and it always will. It's enduring. It stands. Nothing can undo it. This is wonderful news. We count on that assurance. Matthew and Mark both record that Jesus cried out at the end with a loud voice. But they don't tell us what it is Jesus said. John's the one who supplies us with the word. The telestai is finished. He said it with a loud cry. It wasn't the whimper of a worn out man letting out one final gasp. It was a shout of victory is finished, done once and for all, and will stand finished throughout eternity. What is our response to the finished work of Christ? We can add nothing to it. We can only respond to it. We respond to it by receiving the gift of salvation he offers Stepping into a relationship with God that Jesus made possible. Have you done that? And if you haven't, I would ask you, what is holding you back? Don't leave here today without stepping into a relationship that Jesus has made possible. You do that by inviting him to apply what he did on the cross when he paid for all sin to your account. Saying, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I fall short, of the grace, uh, fall short of the glory of God. I could never make it on my own, but you did it for me. You paid in full for me. Apply that to my account. Live in my heart. And if you have done that, then there's only one response that really makes sense. And that is making your whole life a response to the one who gave himself for you. 
There's an old hymn when I survey the wondrous cross that ends this way. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Make your life a response to that amazing love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the amazing love of Jesus that was willing to go to the cross for us. Thank you, Father, that he completed our salvation on that cross, paid in full for all our sin. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't received that gift of salvation, that person would just say right now, Lord Jesus, I need you. I could never make it on my own. Would you come into my heart? Forgive me my sin. Live in me. And I will love you and serve you with the rest of my life. And look forward to seeing you and spending eternity with you in your very presence. Father, help all of us to live our lives in response to what Jesus did for us. And to share this good news with others who need to hear that a Savior has come for them as well. Be glorified in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.